It's every cricketer's dream to get their name on the Lord's Honours Board. For Jason Berendorf, that dream became a reality at the 2019 World Cup when he took 5 for 44 in Australia's win over England. Berendorf takes us through his career best performance in detail and opens up about his subsequent back surgery and how he's travelling on the long road back to full fitness. I'm sports broadcaster Alex Malcolm and alongside Imagio Managing Director Sam Maxwell, this is Play It Again with Jason Berendorf. So Jason, when did Aaron Finch tell you you would be bowling the first over ahead of Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins? Yeah, so it's, it was sort of alluded to a little bit um, once I, I found out that I was in the team. Um, but then when it re- the penny really dropped and I found out that um, I'd be opening the bowling with Stark, he was actually in the warm-up. So once we, we got out ready to, to do our stuff, um, Finchie's come over and said, mate, you've got the first one. And I... I was stoked, to be honest. Um, it's something that um, comfortable is probably not the right word because you're never comfortable playing international cricket or high-level sport. But um, it's a, a real sense of familiarity for me. Um, that's something I do all the time. So I open the bowling in, in virtually every team that I play in. Um, and that's it was a real confidence booster for me, knowing that, um, yeah, we need to take wickets up front early. Um, that's our, that was our game plan. It's... I, well, it's everyone's game plan, really. You want to get into the, the middle order as soon as possible and, and fit you to have that confidence for me to bowl the first over. Yeah, I was stoked and, and ready to go. So you're defending a, a middling total. It was only 285 that the side made. Finch made an excellent 100. Uh, but two left armers opening the bowling is unusual. We saw in the documentary, the test, that it had been planned a couple of days out as a matchup for the England top order. But you had to bowl up the hill at... Lords, which is very unusual for a left arm, and normally they would come from the top end, the change rooms end, where the members are, with the slope running left to right, which is perfect for a left armer. But you had to go from the other end. Can you explain, firstly, the slope and what that experience is like bowling from that end as a left armer? Yeah, that's it's an interesting one because I'd never actually been to Lords before we played that game. Um, so people would talk to me about the slope, and they said, "Oh, it's it's quite a dramatic slope," and I was thinking, I've seen it on TV. Like, surely it's not that big a deal. Um, but then actually standing out there from one side of the ground to the other, it's almost like that. It's about two and a half metres. So, um, yeah, to get used to that was was actually quite tough um, in the warm-up. So we were fortunate to get to bowl close to the centre wicket in our practice warm-ups. Um, and so to find that my feet maybe hit the ground at a, a point where I wasn't ready for them or um, just the timing was out a little bit. So... It's, it's quite a strange one because, as you, you mentioned, from the nursery end there, the camber of the wicket's actually pushing me further into the centre of the wicket, so into the danger zone. Um, so all my instincts are telling me to get off the wicket, but I'm getting physically just forced into the danger zone. So um, having to work really hard to, to make sure that I'm as upright as possible and able to get through my action as also trying to get off the wicket... Um, yeah, and like I said, it took a little bit of getting used to. Um, but fortunately, the warm-up was close enough to the centre wicket. And um, and then, yeah, I, I bowled my first ball and I thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's it's always... Uh, you got to find your feet, I guess. Um, for me, anyway, the first ball or generally a couple of balls takes a little bit of getting used to. Um, but yeah, fortunately, it was straight away after that. Um, yeah, I sort of got into my work, which is really nice. You talk about that, the, the ball to Vince... Um, as Alex mentioned, you talk about in documentary, that's sort of your, 
your, your stock standard ball, but also, you know, something that you, you practice time after time um, in, in training. Um, what were you thinking? Yeah. Coming up to that. And I guess, yeah, what do you work on? Um, so that comes out perfect nearly every time, if, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the, uh, the word perfect is something we try and emulate. We know that it's never going to be perfect all the time. Um, you get the, the few times that everything actually clicks and feels amazing. Um, the ball release, the, the same position, everything comes out uh, exactly the way you practice and you want it to all the time. Um, and that's, that's the thing. So for me, it was a case of knowing what my strengths are, knowing that opening the bowling, I'll swing the ball back to the right hander and I looked at the stumps. Um, so bowling the in-swinger 90% of the time, especially up front um, to the right-handers, really looking to yeah hit the top of the stumps. And that for me was... Again, a familiar situation, something that I do all the time and I have done for a lot of my career, if not all my career. Um, so knowing that, that I've got that blueprint in my mind at the top of my mark, I go, yep, I've got a brand new kookaburra in my hand. I'm ready to go here. I'm going to swing it back. I'm either going to wrap someone on the pads or I'm going to knock them over, um, looking to get them out in those those two ways in particular. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the board of Vince uh, was basically the way I wanted to go every time. Um, at first, I thought, oh, actually, it's too full. Um, but then it swung late, which is the key. So the later the ball swings, obviously, the less chance the batter has to react to it. Um, and for me, the ball swung exceptionally late um, and then found that little gap between bat and pad, which is a, uh, is a very nice sight to see as a left-arm bowler to a right-hand batter. Bowling in the, in the power play, um, you said before, it's something that you're, you're used to. You're used to opening the bowling in pretty much every, you know, every form of cricket that, that you play. Sometimes it's going to work in your favour, a la, you know, board events. You're going to take a couple early, but flip side, um, sometimes you get carded pretty, pretty hard. Um, <laughs> mentally, how, how do you sort of, how do you balance that? Because sometimes, you know, as I said, sometimes you're going to go really well and, um, and sometimes it's, yeah, not going to go to plan. Yeah, you're right. Um, with with the power play in all formats, um, like in the shorter formats, they have obviously two men outside the circle. So if you go through the field, generally it's it's going to be a boundary. Um, so that's just something you you take on. You understand that um, mentally. I I like to be on the attack. So that's that's where I'm sitting in a mental headspace. So I'm I'm thinking, how am I getting the batter out? Um, for me, like I mentioned before, swinging the ball is my my big attribute. So I'm going to do everything in my power to swing that ball to challenge the batter every time. Um, so yeah, you're right though. Um, there's times when it doesn't go your way and then you sort of need to revert to plan B a bit. You think, okay, either it's not swinging or um, I haven't quite found my length or the batter's played some great shots, like good on them. Um, so that's when plan B kicks into gear and you sort of, in one day cricket, you've got a little bit more time because of the power plays 10 overs, whereas 2020 cricket's only a, a shorter power play. So um, you've got to make that decision on the fly pretty quick. Um, the decision mainly for me in relation to, is it swinging? Yes or no. Um, if it's not, then I need to pull my length back and challenge the batter in another way. Um, so then hopefully minimizing the damage that can potentially happen um, by being too full. But also if it is swinging on the flip side and I haven't got my length right or the batter's on top, then also what do I change? Do I change the field? Do I bring fine leg up and drop the square leg back? Um, do I bring third man up if it's swinging beautifully back into the right hander? Do I bring third man up um, and 
put somebody else out, maybe a, a long on and continue to bowl full and really challenge them, knowing that if they hit me over the top anyway, I've got more protection. Um, so those are the things that you're sort of trying to calibrate really quickly in your mind. Um, and some days they work, some days they don't. <laughs> well, you face that challenge that you've articulated in this particular match. You bowled six off the reel. The ball was swinging. So you've knocked over Vince with a ball that swung and Mitchell Stark has knocked over Root with a ball that swung at the other end. Uh, and then Morgan and Butler come, uh, Morgan and Best, I should say, come hard. Morgan particularly ran at you a couple of times and a little bit later on, Stokes ran at you as well to throw you off your length. How do you balance a challenge of bowling to those guys? The ball is swinging. That is your weapon. And you are trying to push the ball up. But these guys are running at you specifically skipping down the track to try and change the length and hit, turn it into a half volley and hit hard through the field to throw you off that length and throw you off that scent of trying to swing the ball away. How do you, how do you balance that when guys are attacking you like that? Yeah, well, the, the first thing I, I always go to is, um, did I execute what I wanted to do? Um, so in the first instance, if he's run down and hit me off my length, that's a fair shot. Good on him. Um, let's see him do it again. Um, so suddenly if he's hit me for two or three in a row, then I go, okay, I've definitely got to change tact here. I can't keep serving him up the same thing. Um, and you're right. It was, it was evident with, with Morgan in particular, he came at me quite hard. Um, as you said, to throw me off my length, to try and make me bowl somewhere different, um, so that he could open up his scoring opportunities. Um, and that's something again on the fly. It's good to have Finchy, for example, the captain at mid on and mid off. Um, so I was fortunate most of the time. It was someone like Finchie, David Warner, um, even Stoyne was at mid on and mid off at times to have a bit of a chat to and go, what do you reckon here? Like, do you think that he's going to keep trying to come down the wicket? Do you think I need to change my attack? Should we change the field? Um, so to have guys that have played a lot of cricket um, around you as well is really helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you back your skill. So if I think I'm going to get him out, swinging the ball and nick him off, we're going to keep working with that for as long as I feel that it's, that it's possible or on the flip side, if Finchie goes, mate, you've gone for 20 off this over try on that, we probably need to try something else. Um, and that's, that's the thing. So it's a good balancing act between the bowler and the, and the captain in that sense. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard one to get right all the time um, because you always want to stick to your strengths and sometimes you need that plan B to sort of fall back on and go, well, yeah, he's going really well today. Let's get him off strike. Let's have a go at the other bloke. And we can get back to the, to the World Cup in a second, but throughout your career, who's, who's sort of really helped you with that? Um, obviously, you just talked, Dan, about, you know, senior players on the field, but coaches or mentors and, and stuff that, or guys that you've worked with over the course of a you know, fairly long career now who have, yeah, helped you with, I guess, that experience. Yeah, so it's, it's been... Um, there's been quite a few, to be fair. I did a lot of work with Troy Cooley initially. Um, so doing a lot of work uh, from a very young age, trying to understand a lot more about the game. Um, but the, the main thing, I think, for me over the probably the past four or five years is, is more on the tactical side. A lot of the, the early stuff, um, you're just trying to bowl good balls all the time. Um, well, for me anyway. And that's where um, having good chats with Adam Griffith, who was our bowling coach uh, for quite a while here in WA. Uh, he was actually on that World Cup trip as well. So it was great to have that, um, that familiar face and um, to be able to chat to him about plans and, uh, and the way I wanted to go about it and the way we thought it was going to work. Um, but then also more recently, being involved in the Australian setup, um, 
chatting with Mitchell Stark, who's been there and done that for quite a while. A left armer as well, which you know, he doesn't bowl exactly the same way as I do, but very similar being a left armer. Um, so that was great. Paddy Cummins as well. Um, he's one of the best bowlers in the world at the moment. So to, to pick his brain and just, just get an understanding of what they've seen over a period of time in international cricket. Um, and the other guy that really comes to mind was, it was a very brief stint, but the IPL stint I spent with Mumbai, um, I spoke a lot with Shane Bond, who was our bowling coach there. And he keeps it very simple, um, which is, in essence, the best way to go about it. Um, because if you've got too many thoughts and too many things going on, you can really get confused and, and sort of get in between maybe too many things as opposed to actually being clear and executing your plan. So, um, yeah, those guys are probably the, the main ones that have really helped me. So let's get back to the end of the power play. You've, you actually knocked over Johnny Bairstow with a shorter cutter across him, something, a weapon that's come into your arsenal, sort of the more T20 and one-day cricket you've played. Talk us through the development of those types of skills and the plans and execution of that particular dismissal. Yeah, so um, it's, a, it's a nice uh, progression, I think, that I've been able to have over the last um, probably 12 months in particular when I was playing some regular white ball cricket was actually to be able to work on those change-ups, um, go away from being just a new ball bowler um, to have that sort of pigeonhole of going, oh, he'll be good in the power play. If we get him through five or six in the power play, that's great. And then we'll see what we've got left. Um, as opposed to even myself, I feel a lot more confident now bowling through the middle, whether it be bowling my change-ups, bowling a bouncer, um, even just hitting a hard length and, and knowing a bit more about what's required and um, and having the skill set to adapt and do that. Um, but it takes a lot of practice. And that's why um, I'm not comfortable walking into a, a game and trying a new ball in a game because it could end up going anywhere. Um, and so it's it's about spending as much time as you can working on those variations in the practice environment to feel comfortable to do it out of the middle. Um, and that generally takes me quite a bit of time. Um, and the best I one in particular, um, yeah, it came off, but it could have also ended up 15 rows back. It, it wasn't exactly the way I planned it. It was a bit shorter and um, not quite what I had in mind, but it was drew him far enough away to pull the ball as opposed to maybe should have cut it and it probably would have gone for four through the offside. Um, but those are the things that at the end of the day, it's a bit of cat and mouse and um, that plan ended up working, which was great. Um, yeah, so it's, it's partly execution and, um, and partly obviously having that plan in the first place. Now, Dorf, I, I, know, I know you pretty well and you've, you've, you've spoken already a lot about, um, uh, you know, the preparation, even then just the, the, the training side of things. But I guess specifically in this World Cup, um, you, you'd come in um, only playing, I think, one off the first four off the top of my head. Um, you know, you've, in, in so far in your career, you know, you've actually, you've bowled pretty well often after, a, you know, a bit of a layoff. They used the example um, when you took uh, 14 against Victoria um, in a Shield game a couple of years ago. Um, your T20 debut um, in India in October um, a, a couple of years back. Um, how, how do you sort of get yourself re- ready, match ready to be fit and firing? Um, yeah, right off, the, right off the bat, pardon the pun, particularly given a, you know, an extended layoff at times and something also that I guess you're going to have to deal with um, over the coming months. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I guess one in the sense that I've gone through a few times. So fortunately, 
had that experience and hopefully we'll be able to continue to draw on that. But it's, it's been a little bit different in each of those scenarios you, you mentioned. The, um, the Shield game, the 14 wickets against Victoria, I had quite a decent lead-up period into that one um, in the sense that the rehab, we took a little bit slow um, in relation to I, had a, I was coming back from a stress fracture on my leg at that time. Um, and I was actually able to play a little bit of grey cricket then a little bit of second 11 cricket just to actually get some miles in my legs before I played that shield game. Um, so I actually felt primed and ready to go in that scenario. So that was really helpful. Um, but then again, like you mentioned in the World Cup, um, I wasn't in the first team. So I wasn't playing initially. Um, so yeah, there's that mentality of, for me at the time, I knew that I was going to get a chance at some point throughout the World Cup, whether it was one game, two games, four or five games, whatever it might be. And that when that opportunity came, I would be ready. So every time I was bowling in the nets at training, it was with an absolute purpose. I wasn't bowling 36 balls just for the sake of bowling 36 balls. I was bowling some with the new ball, some with the old ball, uh, making sure I executed the variations, the things that I knew that I'd need to execute when I came into that game scenario. And also bowling to guys like David Warner, Stephen Smith, Glenn Maxwell, they make sure that you're on the ball. Um, so if you're not delivering what you need to do, then like they'll let you know, but they'll also smack you around the park and, and you walk out of the net feeling a bit demoralised at times if you're not getting it right because that's the pressure you're going to get in, in the middle. Um, and so those sort of environments, the competitive environments at training really make a difference. So let's get back to the match at Lords. You pick up two in your first spell. Then there's a partnership formed between Stokes and Butler. Stokes played beautifully. It was the summer of Ben Stokes, as we all know. Um, he ended up making 89 and Mitchell Stark knocked him over with an un, unreal Yorker. But Aaron Finch turned back to you and Mitchell Stark at the back end prior to the um, third power play, basically the last phase where you've got four men out. And the game wasn't dead and buried at that point. Um, talk to me about your relationship with Aaron Finch, um, working through those scenarios you mentioned earlier, learning how to bowl in the latter middle overs and also at the death, um, and explain sort of the, the confidence that you get from a skipper like Finch who, who would turn to you in that scenario. Yeah, Finch is a very strong character. Um, and he's a guy who's played a lot of cricket um, and also knows a lot about the game. So. Um, yeah, like you said, for him to throw me the ball and to give me that confidence was, first of all, um, for me, unbelievable um, to know that there's a game on the line to win here. And yep, Finchie's chucked me the ball. Um, and those those moments are the, the ones you, you love and the ones that you want to be a part of. You want to be involved in the big moments. Um, and so for me, I had the confidence now to go in, practice my skill set, know what I needed to do in this scenario. Um, we'd have a chat. We might have said, okay, um, Mo and Ali might have been on strike for example it might have been that stage where's he going to score he's going to look to probably hit me to the leg side let's look at this field where do we want to bowl how are we going to tie him up to get him to hit the ball where we want him to um, and so sometimes it can be as simple as that um, for a period it might be literally in the between 30 and 40 overs you're looking to hit the wicket hard challenge the batter and then the occasional change up whether it be a bouncer a yorker or a slower ball um, and those those conversations, again, they, they continue to happen on the fly. So Finchie might say to me at the start of the over, what are you thinking? I'll say, look, I reckon I'm going to get him out here, um, but I'm also going to dry him up here. So I'm going to hit, um, hit the top of the stumps, 
hard length for a few balls, then I'm going to change the field and I'm going to change it up. So sometimes you you actually nearly planned out the over before it's actually happened. So you've gone, yep, one, two, three is going to be this, four, five, six, I'm going to do that. Um, and And those are the things that I've found with a lot of different captains. It doesn't matter who they are, but if you come to them with a plan, and you're confident in it, your execution, and you say, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to get him out, they'll back you nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, because they've got confidence in your skill set and the fact that you've gone to them and said, this is what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, so those are the, I guess those are the really important relationships you have um, with your skipper as a bowler. And then you talk about relationships then, the, you know, the probably going into the World Cup, as you said before, you weren't probably in the first pick 11. Um, but then towards the the back end, it was you, Mitchell Stark, and and Paddy Cummins. You spoke earlier. Starkey's obviously been one of the best white ball bowlers in the year over you know over the last you know five six years. And and Paddy Cummins, as we all know, you know his his recent years. How, how did you guys sort of really, um, I guess, you know, work work together? But but also, what's it like you know bowling along you know side you know two of the best bowlers in the world as you one of the you know less experienced guys uh, for another term. Um, yeah, in, in, this, in the team? Uh, to put it pretty bluntly, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, getting to play with some of the best cricketers in the world is, is a really special thing. And um, yeah, to, for me, just to try and learn a bit more off them about um, the way they go about it, the different scenarios um, throughout the game periods. Um, but also just the, the general chat we can have around bowling, like um, as a cartel, you're, you're out there and you're seeing things that I might say be down at fine leg. And I'm like, oh, Starkey, are you trying to do X or is it swinging or, or what's going on? And then that opens up a conversation and we, we say, yeah, the ball at this end is actually really swinging. So let's keep working, swinging that ball, whereas the ball at the other end's not. So we've got to bash the wicket hard at this end. Um, and so little things like that, that, the communication in particular throughout the bowling group um, is really important. Um, and then you throw a world-class spinner like uh, Nathan Lyon in there, Adam Zampa, um, guys who are exceptional at their craft as well um, and really fit into the, the mould of, of the bowling group um, to, to change the pace of the game, to attack or to defend at different times. Um, so you've got like spinners that, that do different roles. Nath's generally a bit more of a defensive spinner, whereas Zamps goes on the attack. Um, so those sort of things. And, and how it all balances out um, is, yeah, part of the, obviously, the selection table um, problem to, to pick the, the most balanced attack. But, but also, once you're out there, the communication um, is so important. I want to ask you, just from a personal side of things, um, five fruit lords, Obviously, you know, we all talk about, you know, playing for your country and the team and that, but just purely from a personal side, um, how was that? I know your family were there um, to get up on the honour board. Um, that must have been pretty special. Yeah, it really was. Um, and that's the thing, looking back at it at the time, um, at the end of the day, that's my job as a bowler to go and take wickets. Um, so it was, it was sort of caught up within the whole World Cup and, um, and everything else going on. And um, I'm not one that plays the game for personal accolades, but even looking at, at something like that, um, for me, one, to play cricket at Lords, um, then to play against England at Lords, but to take five at Lords, like you said, it's, it's something really special. And it actually sort of 
puts the hairs back up on the the back of my neck at the moment, just thinking about um, the fact that mum and dad could see me do it. Um, my wife and my little boy were there too. Um, so things like that, that make the experience um, just that little bit more special. Um, but then Finchy to, to basically say to me, mate, you're leading us off the ground. I was thinking, mate, you're crazy. You're the captain, you go and do that. And he pushed me out the front and I was the first one to walk off the ground. Um, little things I remember, just the, the members throughout there, even though I'd taken five and we'd beat England, they were still clapping me off um, to give like the smiles on the coaches' faces and the, the other guys that were there. Those are the things that um, really cement for me. Like it was just an unbelievable experience. Um, and then like you said, to have my name up on the honour board at Lords, um, there's probably nowhere you'd rather have your name on an honour board. So that's really cool. And, and hopefully maybe one day when um, my little boy Harrison or some friends or something go through a tour at Lords, they might, might see it and um, then it'll spark some more memories down the track. You got a photo and you've got the ball. Have you got it? Uh, mounted and framed yet and put somewhere in the house? Nah, it's not framed or mounted yet. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've got the photos, the ball. Um, and fortunately, we've, um, it's received, like I received it recently, is the, the World Cup shirt. Um, so we, we got a, um, a signed shirt. All of us in the squad got a signed shirt um, that was framed by a company for us. So we were very fortunate with that as well. So that's, um, as they say, it'll go to the pool room one day. Once I've, once I've got a nice pool room, I'll be able to put a few things up and, um, and save us some of those mementos. It really was the high point of the World Cup, beating England at Lords. You guys were really rolling at that point. Uh, talk us through the rest of the campaign, obviously going up to Old Trafford and losing to uh, South Africa was a heavy loss. Plus, you also had the injuries of Sean Marsh and Usman Kawaja and then the defeated Edgbaston. What, what was the experience of the rest of the World Cup like for you? Yeah, you're right. Um, it was a bit of a downer from from some of the highs we had uh, throughout the middle of the World Cup there. we uh, it, was, it was a tough period. We actually had a week off between um, the South African game. The, the, I forget the game that was before that, but the, between the last game and then the South African game, it was a week. Um, so we had a few days off and everyone cooled their jets and, and had a bit of time to recharge, which is what you need. Um, then when we got back into training, and as you mentioned, we had that horror training session. Um, Sauce broke his arm. I think Maxi got hit as well. Um, there was just enough stuff going on that oh, JL being JL, he was worried. Uh, he was really worried, I think. Um, not just for that day, but for the game and the rest of the tournament leading forward, how it's going to pan out. Um, and yeah, we didn't have a, a great game against South Africa. We, we didn't play our best cricket and, and they turned up on the day and, and did a number on us. Um, so that was, that was oh, at, at that stage, we were thinking, look, it's not a big deal. We're still finishing in the, the top part of the pool. We'll be okay. Yes, we're going to have to move now. Instead of staying at Old Trafford, playing the semi-final there, we had to move. Um, but we were still thinking, look, we're still in the semi-final of the World Cup. We've got um, full confidence in everything we need to do from here to make the final, um, to get back to Lords and play at Lords. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, again, it didn't quite go to plan against England. I think we were three for spit or something in the first first 10 overs um, and and from there we never really recovered we only made 220 um, it was never going to be enough and the hard thing that day as well once once yeah um, I think I actually ended up bowling the last ball um, Owen Morgan hit it over the top and um, 
it was a hollow feeling. But then once we got back into the change rooms, that's that's the worst feeling I've um, I've had in the change room. Um, to know that we were so close to our ultimate goal of of reaching the World Cup final, but also winning the World Cup at Lords, um, and just to to be fair, at the end of the day, we didn't even just fall short. We got smacked that day, um, and that's probably what hurt the most is that it wasn't even close. It was it was a disappointing performance, and um, everyone in that room was was feeling pretty hollow, knowing that yeah, we potentially let one slip. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Did you did you actually end up watch, watching the final yourself? <laughs> um, a little bit of it in the sense that I, by the time we were back in Australia, I actually went to Melbourne. Um, and so the time difference was ridiculous to, yeah. to actually get up in the morning. I think it might have been four in the morning. Um, so I only saw a little bit of it. And then I woke up to, I think someone tweeted, like this was the most ridiculous World Cup final in the history of the game ever. And I was like, well, surely not. Like, surely it was just a game of cricket. And then watching some highlights, I thought, oh, wow, that's, um, that's something special. Yeah, so it was, it was a pretty crazy way to end uh, uh, an intense tournament, that's for sure. How do you feel about that, hearing the result? You're back home in Australia. You said before, you kind of, that's where you were planning and preparing to be. Um, yeah, I guess probably not the, the way you thought it would pan out. No, definitely not. Um, that was still pretty flat, to be fair. That that whole time coming back from the UK, um, getting back into... Well, I was contemplating getting back into pre-season at that stage. I was like, I'd much rather be playing cricket at Lords than, than in pre-season. Um, but, yeah, we were... like, oh, I can only speak from a personal point of view, but, yeah, I was still a bit flat. Um, part of me didn't really even want to watch the World Cup final, knowing that that's something that um, I'd want to be there as opposed to, to watching it on the TV on the other side of the world. So... Yeah, those those sort of things um, that still sticks in my mind, and um, yeah, it was it was a disappointing and a bit of a frustrating period. And that frustrating period, unfortunately, sort of followed the next little bit. You sort of got back into training. There was the the, the back injury which you've had for had you've been managing for a number of years. Um, you had the opportunity to head over to England to back over England um, to play in the T Twenty Blast competition. You got through a couple of matches pretty sore. Um, yeah, came back, would have started, made the decision to come back and have some pretty invasive back surgery, um, which is coming up to, you know, what's, what are we now, about nine months ago. Um, just explain that period, having to fly to, to New Zealand. Only a couple of players have it, had it done before, um, but surely I know you spoke to a lot of them um, and it's going to give you, hopefully, a bit of confidence that the um, yeah, body can, can hold up moving forward. Yeah, that was a a really tough period in my, not only cricket career, but in my life. Because um, I literally went from just about the highest point, or it was the highest point in my career. I was playing in a World Cup for Australia. I was playing at Lords, and um, then next minute, I was on the operating table a month or so later. Um, so that's not something I, I had envisioned or pictured. Um, and then it, it took me a few months actually to realise probably how low in terms of mental state, um, how far I'd probably gone through the floor without even realising. Um, it took a lot of toll on me, on my family. Um, and those are the things that only the people that are close to me really, really know about um, and, and saw firsthand how, how bad 
um, a spot I was in at times and how I just didn't didn't really care about much. I didn't want to do anything. I was in a lot of pain. Um, the, the thing that I was, I guess, blissfully unaware of in the sense I'd never had surgery before, um, before this surgery. And I had so much confidence with the guys I'd spoken to about um, how it's benefited their careers, the guys that have had it done, um, what the process was. And they said, all glowing reports. Um, obviously, there's, there's the pain post-surgery, which from, from chatting to guys that have had surgery is, is a normal thing. Obviously, you're getting cut open and things are, things are changing. They're either putting something in, taking something out, whatever it is. Um, but in my mind, I still never understood how different or how sore I was going to be. Um, so from, from going under the knife to waking up, that was the sorest I've been ever. Um, and in that split second, I thought, have I done the right thing here? Um, and now, obviously, nine months down the track, I can say, well, yeah, of course it was. Like, I'm, I'm doing just about everything again. I'm, I'm getting close to, to hopefully playing some cricket in the near future. Um, but it was, a, it was a very tough time um, knowing that I'd have to go through rehab again, um, albeit a similar rehab period because it's my back. But it's also different because I've now had surgery. So things are going to feel different. Um, the one in particular was my forward flexion. So bending over to touch my toes took a long time to get any sort of flexion movement, even to get my hands to my knees or past my knees, anything like that. Um, and some days it was downright demoralizing the fact that I felt I just couldn't move. Um, and I was just wondering when I'd be able to move, if I was going to be able to move in the same way again. Um, and if I was going to be able to get that confidence in my body to go, well, yeah, once, once I'm going, am I going to be, be right to go again? Um, and so those are all the things, or a few of the things actually, that go through your mind. Um, and I had a lot of time to think, which is not necessarily a good thing as well, because you, you spin ideas around in your head, you float different things, and you, sometimes you get fixated on something for a while and you think it's a good thing, and then you chop and change, and you, you sometimes you feel like your head's going to explode. Um, or for me anyway, the amount of thinking I was trying to do and um, being... In a, in a professional sporting environment. Very fortunate to have um, good people around us there as well. So I um, spent a lot of time chatting with our sports psych at the WACA, um, just trying to get my head screwed on again and, and figure out what it was going to be like. Um, also for me, like I'd spent a lot of time um, from Harrison, uh, my little boy, a lot of his life I'd spent away. Um, so to now actually be around full time but also not be able to do much with him. Like in that first few months, he was stoked that I was around, but I couldn't, couldn't do anything. I couldn't bend over. I couldn't play on the floor with him. I couldn't really do much at all. So he sort of gave me the, uh, the bit of the don't argue, like, you're no good to me, Dad. Like, you're not giving me anything here. Um, so apart from having a broken back, I felt like my heart was smashing in a thousand pieces as well. Um, so it's, yeah, looking back at it, there was so many, so many factors that, I don't think I really um, understood before surgery that would, would sort of take a toll on me. And um, yeah, I think there was, oh, I don't remember the point exactly, but I was, I was chatting to our psych and it something I said or he said triggered something and I just burst into tears. And I think that was probably the first time I actually let it out and um, started to, potentially heal from there like I'd been building up everything inside and just 
had been on a downward spiral. I was I was getting angry with everything. I I didn't want to do anything. Um, everything was an effort, like those sort of things. It was just it was a really tough period. Um, yeah, so it's it's nice to look back now and um, have seen the I guess the fruit of those decisions we made. Or realistically, nearly a year ago, to to go down the surgery path, um, and yeah, it's constantly a, a work in progress. Like I'm, I'm still doing everything I possibly can to to get as as flexible and as strong and do all those things as I possibly can, and and also try and stay in in the right headspace as well. Because um, knowing what I know now, as opposed to what I knew twelve months, two years ago. Um, your mental state is so important um, and to stay in a in a level and a positive headspace um, can actually make all the difference did those physical and emotional experiences match that of James Pattinson and Shane Bond you mentioned you, you uh, developed a relationship with Shane I know you spoke to both men about the surgery did they have they indicated that not only have they gone through the physical issues that you had post-surgery, but did they explain that they went through any kind of emotional roller coaster as well? The, the big one um, that I recall Pato talking a bit about was I think he just, he just didn't want to do anything like similar to what I experienced for the first few months. He just, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but this is sort of what I took from, from what he was saying is that he just didn't really care. He didn't want to do anything. Um, and that's how I felt for a lot of the period of time as well. And, um, and it's, it's a really hard one because yes, you go through uh, the same procedure as someone else. Um, but there's so many different aspects to it as well in terms of your family, your, your life outside of cricket, all the, all these sort of things that, um, can have a toll on you as well so it's um yeah i can certainly draw from some similarities to to what those guys have spoken to me a little bit about um but yeah it's definitely partly my own journey which is which is a good thing but also tough at times as well because you've got to figure a lot of it out so where are you at right now in the phase of your recovery can you map out where exactly you are and how that relates to the experiences of of james and others and how close do you think you are to returning to your absolute best yeah so it's um it's been a i guess the, the rehab process of ebbed and flowed a fair bit so it was tracking along really nicely um and then um the the covid pandemic hit so it actually took a bit of time off um which was not a bad thing in the sense that i just felt like my body needed a bit of a break i'd been hammering everything rehab wise um and there was just a few little niggly things popping up and just enough for me to know in my own mind that I needed a break. Um, so I took a little bit of time away just to try and refresh and recharge. And, um, and now we're, we're starting to build things back up again. So I've got a, a fair bit of a technical focus as well with my bowling at the moment. So I'm trying to work on a couple of things that ideally will help me stay a bit safer. I'm trying to, to basically get my legs to be a bit more active, to, to take a bit more of the load um, is probably the easiest way to put that. Um, without going into way too much detail that it'll take a long time to talk about. Um, and, and that's something that physically I feel like um, I could potentially push back and, and really start cranking it up soon, but it's more of a technical focus that I want to get right first. Um, so in that sense, the body is going quite well and quite nicely. Um, comparatively to other guys, I remember chatting to Ben Dwarshus who had this, the surgery. Um, he was back playing club cricket at around six months. 
um, and some of the other guys, uh, some of the guys in New Zealand that have had it done uh, were also around that sort of six to eight month mark. And so initially I targeted that. I was, I was definitely keen to be six to nine months. I'll be back playing. I'll be, be sending them down and I'm ready to go. Um, but I think um, this period of inactivity and um, everything happened with the COVID virus was potentially good for me in the sense that I was able to now take a little bit more time in, instead of, not that I was ever going to rush anything, um, but just to give me absolute clarity in terms of how much time I needed. Um, and to, for me, thinking about it now, it's more about the technical aspect to give me enough time to, to really drill down on the technical aspect that I want to get right. Um, and then so it, it looks like at this stage, I think, that the start of our domestic summer will be a really good target for me. So by the time I've had enough time to get that right in pre-season, um, obviously get, get bowling properly again and, and feel confident at the bowling increase again, that's, that should hopefully link up quite nicely with that sort of time frame. Is Red Bull cricket back on the agenda? I'd love to think so. Um, it's, it's something that will be a process like it has been um, realistically over the last few years is that once I got back, I'd, I'd start with some short format cricket to get going and uh, see how my body copes. And unfortunately in the past few years, it hasn't coped. Um, but this, this could definitely change that. Um, James Pattinson is the, the big one of most recent times that I look at. Um, he had his, um, obviously the surgery was the same and, and fixed his back up to a point where he was back playing four day cricket and test cricket. Um, and that's something that it gives me a lot of confidence that if, if things go the way I'd like them to, and, and it all pans down the track. Um, that that's a, a very distinct possibility. So we're certainly not ruling anything out at this stage. Well, Josh, thanks for your time. Always great to chat. And you're very, very candid with your thoughts. And congratulations again on, on a wonderful performance at Lords. And we hope to see many more for Australia in the future. And best of luck with your recovery. And hopefully you'll be back and bowling better than ever for Western Australia and the Scorchers this summer. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate it.